Well, good morning. It is good to see every single one of you guys, as well as those of you that are joining us online. We're glad you are with us also. And if I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors. My name is Adam, and we are in a series titled The Pursuit of Joy. We're walking through the book of Philippians. There's only four chapters in it. And so this month has been the book of Philippians. So if you brought your Bibles, we also will show the, the scripture up on the screens. But if you brought your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to be in there. Uh, myself and Pastor Ray have been teaching through this. And it has been a true joy to really dive into this letter to the church in Philippi that was written years and years and years ago. And it's so relevant for us today. There's so much inspiration that comes out of it. So we're going to jump into this in just a moment. But I want to highlight, you know, our youth ministry is just they, they ramp up. When it comes to summertime, things ramp up for them. They got all the move up from fifth grade into sixth. And you got eighth graders becoming high schoolers. And then you've got Chaos Dash and summer camp and VBS is for our Calvary kids. There's so much that happens. Um, so one thing is just to be in prayer for the team. I know many of you guys are serving in our youth ministry and our Calvary kids. We so appreciate your investment. We, we really look at it as an investment. You're investing in the next generation. They are not the future church. We say this a lot around here. They are the church of today. They are in a different sphere, a different influence. They're in schools. They're in different sports. They're all over this area. So we want to continue praying and investing in them and pouring into them. And uh, one big thing that you guys can be praying about, obviously, is VBS is coming up. But then our summer camp, Pastor Ray mentioned last week, a way for you guys to contribute uh, financially. We're still looking for people to, to say, yes, I can, I can sponsor a, a young person to go to camp. I can give this much because the week is packed full of fun, but it's also packed full of Jesus and the gospel. It sets them on fire, and then they go into their school year just ready to, to be the witness that God's called them to be at a young age. So you can, if you feel the tug on your heart, you feel like you want to give financially, you can stop and talk to Taylor or Megan or one of the team at the hub there, and uh, you can also do it online, but just to give, and that's going to go to an, a tremendous thing that we're doing here, which is our C7 Young, uh, young Ministries here. Real quickly, let me, let me ask you a question, because this is, this is the, the thought of the morning. It's this topic. It's how is your focus? You know, focus is an interesting word because it is really difficult for a lot of us to accomplish, I think. I was talking to a guy before the nine o'clock service and I said, hey, how you doing? He's like, oh man, I'm all over the place. I'm doing this, this, and this. I'm moving here. I got this. I just got married. I got all these different new jobs. And, ah, ah. and he's just all over the place. And I go, hey, guess what we're talking about today? We're talking about how our focus needs to be aligned in certain things and how the Apostle Paul has some great insight for us and how we can focus on the right things. It's amazing in our culture, our culture is so fast paced and there's so many distractions, so many things that pull for our attention. I remember hearing it once that what has your attention has you. And that's very true. Henry Ford said this a while back. He said, a weakness of all human beings is trying to do too many things at once. And it's true. I think we are great at saying yes. How many of you guys are great at saying yes? It's like a spiritual gift for you. Like, yeah, there's all these ones, and then I, I can say yes to everything. Like, someone says, hey, do you want to do this? Yes. Why did I say that? You ever have the yes remorse? Or like, yeah, I'm totally, I'll totally help you move. And then an hour later, like, what did I just commit to? I'm coming down with a fever. I don't know if I can do this anymore. 
But we, we end up committing and saying and doing and, and really even here's the downside of it. In the culture we live in, busyness becomes almost a badge of honor. We almost pride ourselves in, in saying yes and doing more and accomplishing and being spread super thin. And you talk to someone, hey, what's going on in your life? Oh, I'm just so busy. We got all this stuff going on as if that's a good thing. And they could be good things, but we're exhausted and we're doing a mediocre performance on all 50 things we're doing. We're not excellent at anything. And what I love about the Apostle Paul, from what we read, and, and when Jesus changed his life radically, he was set on mission with a very, very clear focus. He, he had a, a direct purpose that he knew he needed to be about. Advancing the kingdom of God, planting these churches, writing these letters, whether he was in good times or whether he was in prison or whatever, his focus stayed right in front of him. He's gonna give a very clear statement towards the end of chapter three on what to focus on, one thing that he does and that we can grab hold of as well. So let's jump right into this. Let me, let me set the stage context before we start reading this. Remember, Paul is the author, the Apostle Paul. His name used to be Saul. So before he started planting churches and he's all for Jesus, he actually persecuted the church. He would be a, a zealot. He was very zealous. He was a Pharisee. He followed the law. And he's going to articulate that in this portion of the letter. And so he was against all the people in the church. That wasn't his thing. And so Jesus came to him, revealed himself to him, and radically changed his heart and then gave him a new name, changed his name from Saul to Paul and set him on fire. And this guy's writing letters and planting churches and equipping people. And it's just a, he's an incredible man after God's heart. And, and, and what I'm realizing too is in this moment as he's writing, he's in prison. He's in chains. It actually says that he's under house arrest at this time. And house arrest was different than house arrest of today. House arrest, then you were chained to a Roman soldier. So he's now got this Roman soldier that's right with him all the time, and he's writing this letter of hope, of joy, of encouragement, of exhortation, of rebuke at times. He's writing to the church that he's planted in Philippi. It's just amazing that he's thinking of them. He's writing to them. Most people would think, okay, if someone's in prison and they're down and, down and out, we would be writing to them. Hey, hang in there. I know you're in terrible circumstance and this is awful, but you got this, God's with you, we're praying for you. That's usually what you'd think would be the normal response. And, and yet Paul's writing to the churches. And I love his posture of joy as he writes. So listen to how he opens up this portion of the letter. Philippians 3, verse one, he reminds them of this. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it to safeguard your faith. Let's just stop there for a moment. Whatever happens. I joke about this, but you look up the word whatever in the original language, it translates whatever, okay? Anything, anything is what that means. Whatever you are going through, good, bad, ugly, difficult, easy, whatever you are facing, my dear brothers and sisters of 11 a.m. or watching online, rejoice in the Lord. Is he saying rejoice because the circumstances are awesome? No, he's saying rejoice in the Lord. 
This might help you remember it. We gotta take our focus off of the circumstance, which is really easy to, to focus on, and put them on the Savior. Move them from the circumstance to the Savior and rejoice in the Lord in what he has done for you. Being grateful. Having a posture of gratefulness changes everything. It really does. We say this in recovery ministry, an attitude of gratitude will change everything. We can so easily get caught up in the circumstance, and, and I'm not minimizing circumstance. Many people even in this room or watching online are, are walking through some very difficult things, very difficult circumstances. Yet what Paul is saying to all of us is in the midst of that circumstance, the way that you find joy is to rejoice in the Lord in what he has done for you. Take your focus and attention on him, how he loves you, how he's graced you, how he's with you, how he's equipped you, how he's called you, how he's surrounded you, how he's within you. And when you start rejoicing that way and you start worshiping, it changes everything. I mean, trust me, when we're standing in the back watching you guys worship the first song, First song, you're kind of like, okay, here we are. I need coffee, okay? I didn't really sleep well last night. That was a good song. Way to go, guys. Clap offering. Second one, yes and amen. You're like, okay, I'm a little bit more awake. I'm gonna put my hands up about mid-post. Mid okay, I'm doing this move right here, right? <laughs> but then by the third song, raise the hallelujah. Ryan's like, come on, church. You guys, hands are up. There's something within you. The song does something at the soul level, doesn't it? It's not just catchy, there's something within it that says rejoice in the Lord. Raise a hallelujah in the midst of the circumstance that I'm walking through, and there's something within you that when you rejoice, your focus is different. You, you move from this place of I can't, or I don't know, and this is overwhelming, to God, I'm with you, you're with me. I'm gonna raise a hallelujah in the midst of this, sustain me through this season. So Paul starts with this by saying, whatever happens, rejoice. He then goes on, verses two through six, and he says this, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, he says, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Okay, he's pointing out, here's the irony, just for a moment. The irony, he's calling these people dogs. So he's speaking of the Judaizers, those that are outside, that are still following the old covenant, the law. They're starting to infiltrate this church, and the church will be made up of predominantly Gentiles, those that are not of the, the heritage and the history and the bloodline of the nation of Israel. They are the outsiders. They would be basically us, the ones that say, I believe in Jesus, the new covenant. So the church has started as full of people following Jesus, but there's these Judaizers coming in saying, Hey, in order to be saved, you actually gotta do this stuff. And they're listing off other things. It's actually self-effort. You've got to do this. And Paul says, hey, if people are starting to point to self-effort, I'm the best at it. My life, I am the self-effort king. 
He goes on, verse five. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that, and I, that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I mean, he's basically running down his old life. You think you live a moral, obedient life? You think that your self-effort is getting you righteousness or, or attaining salvation based off of the things you do? Put your life against mine and I beat you every single day. He's just kind of running down his history because he did. He followed all these things so well. It's amazing when you start talking to people of today about what it means to be saved and how often the first thought for people is usually a self-effort thought. I mean, I meet with a lot of different couples, individuals, and I've asked this question even of this congregation, when you stand before the Lord and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? If that was a question he asked you, what would your response be? And many people, even in the church, in this church, would say, well, lived a good life. Yeah, I, I did this and this, and I served and I gave, and I did all these things as if the self-effort and the, the, the things on your end of this, your righteousness, your good works, really gains anything. As if God's waiting for you to cross the threshold of, all right, you're at 51%. Okay, you're in. I was waiting for that one more church attendance. Oh, you saw it online. You're only 49%. Just kidding, guys, watching online. As if our, our effort is what gains salvation, and it's not anything to do with that. The old covenant had definitely a self-effort, drive, follow the law, try to do this, and they never measured up. That's why it pointed to the need of a savior, that they could not save themselves. So Jesus shows up, and Jesus does what he does, and he lives a perfect and sinless life. He dies on the cross, he pays the full sin penalty, he takes our unrighteousness upon himself and gives us his righteousness. And it's 100% Jesus. He dies and rises for us. And so Paul is making this clear distinction right here. That I know these people are saying you have to do these things in order to be saved. They're missing it. They're basically saying Jesus and. If anybody in this culture and today ever comes to you and talks about salvation and says you need Jesus and this or Jesus plus this, they're off. It's not Jesus plus, it's not Jesus and these things in order for salvation. No, it is 100% Jesus. It's 100% his life, death, burial, and resurrection, new covenant in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. We're gonna celebrate it at the end of service today in communion, remembering the new covenant we're under, not the old, but the new. And so Paul is getting very clear with the church to say, guys, make sure you're aware of this. Because, I mean, think about it. Some, some of these Judaizers are coming in saying, hey, I know you're about Jesus, but the reality to be saved, you gotta be circumcised. There's probably an 80-year-old dude in there going, excuse me? <laughs> what, what, what do I gotta do? Yeah, in order to be saved, circumcision. 
And then you also have to follow the law. I know there's some young people in here, so you have to have a circumcision conversation this afternoon. That'd be fun, sorry. <laughs> but think about this for a moment. They're adding to Jesus being the only way. And that is so crucial for us to get today as well. Because when you believe that, it moves you into a different way of living your life versus the other way of trying to please continually. Paul goes on, verse seven through 11. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, speaking the old covenant, the old way of living, his old perfect obedience, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, catch this, through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. He says, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on obedience, just make sure you're paying attention. It doesn't say that. It says faith, doesn't it? It's not perfect moral record. It's not living amazing lives. It is faith in Jesus. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, Paul says, and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. He is making such a clear distinction here that it is not about self-effort for salvation. It's not Jesus and. It's 100% being made right with God is 100% us putting faith in what Jesus has done. When we look to the cross and we remember and we believe that he did it all and we sincerely give our heart and life to him, and we believe that is our foundation, that is when his spirit comes and takes residence in our heart and life and the new life begins. The caution is, a lot of us may have said that and we trust in Jesus, but then we slip into the old way of living and we strive to please. We strive to show and to do and to present to God as if you're trying to earn more of his love. You know, I've, I've struggled with this. It could be called people-pleasing, where you want people to like you, and so you're doing certain things in order to gain something from them. But what we're, what we're supposed to believe, as Paul's saying, is you are fully loved in God through his son, Jesus. 100% full. There's nothing you can do. Even your greatest day of the most amazing righteous acts of serving and giving and loving and doing all that, even that stuff, you can't add to the amount that God loves you right now in and through his son, Jesus Christ. So when you begin to believe, I am fully loved, I have all the grace I need, I have all the forgiveness I am now co-heirs with Christ. I've been seated in heavenly realms. I will spend eternity with him. He's with me. His spirit resides within me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is inside of me, taking over my life, and I need to surrender and listen and move. It moves us into this thought, grace-driven effort, 
versus self-effort. You see, self-effort to do, to serve, to love, to live for Jesus is exhausting. The people that followed the old covenant were exhausted. They had commandments to memorize. They had 600 some laws to know. They had to do all the sacrifices, all the stuff, and that's why when Jesus came on the scene, he was a breath of fresh air. As he, he said, come to me, those who are, are burdened, you're overwhelmed, because I'm simple in my response to what you are to do. Simply this, follow me, trust in me, and then through grace-driven effort, you can live differently. See, the Apostle Paul had such a confidence in Jesus and whose he was that I believe his passion just, it kind of oozed in everything he did. I joked about it a couple weeks ago. I guarantee when he was chained to that Roman soldier, there was a moment where he looked at the Roman soldier and probably said, hey, do you know Jesus? <laughs> like, we're obviously here. God put me here for a reason. So do you know him? Let me share my story. This is what I used to be like. But because of God's amazing grace, I'm fully loved and this is who I am. Do you know him? He loves you too. And just had this passion to whatever circumstance he was in. He was put there and God allowed it for God's glory. And whatever circumstance you're walking through is, is, is the same. God's allowed you to walk through something. He's allowing you to go through different seasons. He wants you then to respond knowing that you are loved, knowing that through grace-driven effort, you can move forward. The Apostle Paul also says this, two things. He says, I want to know Christ and I want to experience his mighty power, the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. I love that. I want to know Christ. You know, I think there are a lot of us that know about Christ and there's a big distinction about knowing about someone versus knowing them. You know, you, you ever been around someone that's a name dropper? They're kind of fun, aren't they? Oh yeah, I was hanging out with Russell Wilson the other day. Really? No way. Where were you guys at? Well, I mean, it was training camp. He was at training camp and I was kind of behind the little gate there. I was, I was watching him do, do a bunch of stuff. But I mean, once he threw this good pass, he looks at me, he's like, what's up? So was he saying, what's up to you? Well, I mean, just, I think so. We had a little moment there and Cal was kind of like, what's up, man? And I mean, I know his stats. I know I'm just getting paid now. I know all the details about him. Okay, time out. Do you actually know him? Like, if you saw him out in public, would he recognize you? Probably not, actually, no. But I know a lot about him. You know what I've realized? I think there's a lot of people that know about Jesus. But the scary thing is this. It says this in scripture. There will be many who will pass away from this life, who will stand before the Lord, and he will say, I don't know you. And that is something that's sobering for us to think about, to say, I do not want that response from Jesus. I want Jesus, when I show up, to go, what's up, Adam? I know this guy. He's with me. See, that's the kind of response we want with Jesus. And so as Paul is saying this, he's saying, I want to know Jesus. I'm going to do everything I can to pursue him. I want to get to know him intimately. I want to spend time with him. I want to study I want, I want to know this person named Jesus in and out, and I want him to know me. And also, I want to experience the power 
that's available to me now that raised Jesus from the dead. I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians are, are good at writing the coattails of somebody else's amazing experience. You know, you hear about people that go and have this amazing experience on a mission trip or they, they go and they do this and that and wow, that's amazing. And, and we, we live off someone else's experience with the power of God. When's the last time for you personally that you experienced the mighty power of God in your life with him? Have you pursued that experience in a while? There are seasons in my life where I have just chased hard after the heart of God. Like, I, I so want to experience you. I don't want to hear about somebody else's. I love that for someone else, but I want it for me. I want to know that you are so real and your power is real and you're available to me. I heard about this guy the other day. He was praying and his, his prayer just continued on. He just said he was overwhelmed with the presence of God. Now, I could just go, that's great, man. That, that upticked me and I can move forward now because of his experience. But I want that for myself and I hope that you want it for you as well. So as Paul says this, when you understand you are fully loved, God's given you everything you need and he's with you. This grace-driven effort now leads you to know him more and to chase after finding those experiences with him to experience the mighty power that's available to you. He closes this portion almost to the end, but I wanna read these few verses and then we'll receive communion together. Verses 12 through 14, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but listen to this, I focus, here's his focus on this one thing forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You know what, when I've, when I've read this, there was a long period of my life that I used to think forgetting the past means never think about anything that's ever happened before today again. But that's not actually the way this should be interpreted. Because I've sat with some tremendous counselors over my life. I've sat with other pastors. I've sat with godly community and I've processed things that have happened to me or that I have done in the past. And I've found tremendous healing from looking back into those things that have gone on in my life that have created and shaped me to who I am today. So Paul is not saying Blot out everything that's ever happened in the past. Don't ever think about it. I just want you to look forward. No, what I think he's saying is, I don't want you to make that the dominant focus of your life. Another translation of that word forgetting could be no longer caring for, neglecting, or refusing to focus on. It's kind of like this analogy. Think of in your car when you're driving. You've probably heard this before, but... You've got a windshield that's a lot bigger than your rear view mirror, right? And you look through the windshield to go forward and you check the rear view mirror periodically. You check the side mirrors periodically. You glance at those things. But your primary focus can't be the rear view mirror and the side mirrors. If you're gonna go forward and you're gonna move forward to the destination that you're striding ahead, you cannot focus and spend 90% of your effort looking at the side mirrors 
and the rearview mirror. There's a lot of us that live that way, though. There's a lot of us that have things that have happened in the past. We think of the shame and the sin and the struggle, the things we've done, the things that have been done to us, and they're, a lot of times they're pretty tragic. They're horrific, and we battle those thoughts. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, I think not only to that audience, but to us, is that those things may have happened in your past, but I want you to submit them to the Lord. I want you to walk in the love that you are fully loved. You have all the grace, all the forgiveness you need. If you need to go back to find healing, go back with the presence of God in godly community with a counselor or a pastor and do that, but then press forward and move forward. Do not let that be the dominant focus or else you're gonna be stifled. You're not gonna move forward. The Apostle Paul, can you imagine the first few times he stepped up to preach, knowing his past, knowing he used to persecute the people that he's preaching to. He used to arrest and have people killed that followed Jesus, and now he's standing up in front of them to preach? I guarantee in his mind, he could have easily said to himself, there's no way I can do this. There's no way I have a voice to any of these people. How on earth could I be qualified to stand and do because of my past? And yet, he did not allow his dominant thought to be on his past. He allowed what God is doing today and for the future to dominate his thoughts. So he focused, forgetting the past, moving forward, pressing on for what God has called him to do. So for you guys and myself, as we wrap this up, we're gonna receive communion. This is a perfect time for us to look back, but to focus on the right thing, to focus on Jesus and what he's accomplished for us and what he has done for us on the cross, his perfect work. And if you find some things that you feel shame rise up in or, or sin or things that you've committed or you need to repent of things, do that work in this moment. Give it to the Lord. Trust that he's given you the grace and the forgiveness, that you don't have to earn it. There's no self-effort in this moment. It's resting. It's allowing the arms of grace to wrap around you and say, I love you. And I care for you. And I'm with you. Let's look back. Let's remember the new covenant that we are under today, not the old, but the new